Hey there, and welcome to the daily podcast where wisdom smacks us with kisses or love taps. I'm Michelle Spiva, a wisdom strengthening coach, your host, and practical priestess of wisdom. Join us daily to gain wisdom and mental strength as we tackle innovative thinking, address emotional and behavioral life traps, and yes, provide you with some practical how-tos to wrap it all up. So settle in or crank up the speed 2x, whatever gets your mental processes firing as we dive in. Stay tuned. what birthday gift would you want mom (laughs) I'll tell you the best birthday gift I can get is to get all of y'all safely grown get you all out of my house and make sure you're all self-sufficient that would be a great birthday gift for me (laughs) hey this is Michelle Spivey your practical priestess of wisdom and I want to welcome you to today's podcast of wisdom smack so join me on the flip as we talk about the insider's guide to self-sufficiency. I'll see you on the flip. All right. So on the A part, I was reimagining a conversation that we had with my mom one time when we were little kids. And it always stuck with me that my mother was hell-bent on getting us out of her house. But the thing that I remember the most was that Her call to duty when it came to her kids was to make sure that we were self-sufficient. And she understood that to a nuanced uh, point. And I want to talk a little bit about that before we get into this insider's guide to it. You see, for her, she wanted us to understand when enough was enough. One of the things that she was well acquainted with was the excesses of uh, life due to her uh, job and uh, her profession of uh, how she uh, worked with um, people and um, observed them. And so she was like, one of the things that people don't realize is their sufficiency of what they can live on, what they can't, and what will drive them to lose it all or to self-implode. And so for her, that was one of the things that she really focused on to the point where I remember her always drilling into us things like this. Your decisions that you make should never cause, knowingly never cause anyone to have to suffer or to sacrifice for you to have what you want. And she said it was not only about teaching us how not to be selfish, but teaching us how to count up the cost before we would attempt to do something, uh, attempt to take on something, and to not be so overly optimistic. Now, I'm going to just say this. Dear mom, my, my mother's long gone, but I will say, I still have not learned how to be sufficient when it comes to my packing. I am overly overly optimistic on uh, my packing and I am aggressive in it. I could probably medal at the Olympics if it were a sport. 
But that's neither here nor there. So let's get into why you came and why you are listening. And let me say this because I haven't said it in a bit. Thank you for, for joining me every day. I don't take it for granted. And I thank you so much. This is one of the joys of my day of being able to come and talk with you and humble myself as your servant, your priestess, um, helping and serving you with just little tidbits of insight and hopefully wisdom smacks that help you have a brighter life, a stronger way, a stronger mind, and a, a bit of an advantage, if you will, to how you look at life and how you live it. So with that being said, let's get into it. So the first thing is, is when we're talking about this insider guide to self-sufficiency, I want to say that uh, there was a book that I talked about a few months ago. Yeah, a little while ago on the podcast. And I got the book with a side eye because on the cover, they talked about it being um, a book for politics. But and I was not really into that because, you know, we don't do that on this show. We don't want really to talk about politics here because there are so many others that can do that way better than we can. But I went on and I took a chance and I was glad I read it because it gave me a it gave me um, a really different perspective on how things are calculated and done. And so the name of the book is called The Dictator's Handbook by Bruce Bueno de Mosquita. And I'll put the link in the show notes. And definitely, if you consider using it, it is an Amazon uh, affiliate link. and I'd, I would appreciate the support. Um, but it has some areas in there where they talked about dictators from the third world. They talked about um, democracy. And they talked about different political um, setups. And it was weird because they even talked about how uh, when you can you can tell how much a country is um, democratic or a republic uh, as opposed to a dictatorship and a closed society by just looking at its um, infrastructure, its uh, roads and um, civil, uh, a civic, excuse me, civic um uh, ways that they run things and uh, or, or how it's set up. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's so true. Um, and the thing was, is I was expecting them to say things like the more democratic, socialist uh, republic you have, um, that it would be easier or more direct. And they said, no, that's not the case. The more you have a society where its citizens have a say-so, when you're looking at road systems, yes, they are effective, but they straddle the line between being direct and uh, being accommodating so that they don't have to do eminent domain where they have where they force people to give up their land so that they can build a direct route to an airport or a hospital or that. And so we tend to have grid systems to try to give people a say-so when we come in. And I'm saying this like I'm doing it, but I'm, I'm saying we as in a government or a governing body when they come in to build infrastructure. Whereas a dictatorship, everybody, they're going to make sure that you have the most circuitous route possible to deter you from trying to uh, get to uh, major things without their permission. So they will make sure that your routes to the market and to wherever they're collecting taxes, you don't have any problems with those roads or, or thoroughways. But let it be where you can go and possibly gain power 
then it's going to be uh, mimicking over the woods and through the, he- I mean, over the hills and through the woods to grandmother's house we go. They're going to make it really hard. But when it comes to their direct path to getting out of there, whether it be a private helicopter pad or uh, some type of road that is a private road and well-kept, yep, you'll have that. And um, it really did something to me when I meditated on what I had learned from that book. And then I started looking at stuff all over the place. And it got me to thinking about how I am flunking when it comes to being self-sufficient. Now, this is not going to be a prepper kind of um, situation that I'm talking about, but the things I'm going to list might sound reminiscent of it, but they have a, a deeper meaning for me and hopefully for you. And so thank you for letting me set all of that up. And that is to say that when we look at being self-sufficient, a lot of us are looking at it with one eye open and the other closed or or blind. And the reason why we say that is because we depend so much on things that have have been become so standard that they've become invisible and taken for granted. And when I was looking at uh, some strategies, and you guys know I study strategy and, and all of that and studying for some books I'm working on, and, and plus it's just fun looking at them and, and learning them. There were things that I was like, wow, okay. So for instance, with regards to sufficiency, say for instance, just pretend with me, infrastructure gets uh, blown to smithereens and you are now thrust all the way back into just you and and nature. And you've got to become sufficient. You've got to find out what is enough for you to to sustain and live on and uh, for you to outlast your uh, elements, if you will, that might come to do you harm if you're not prepared. So these are some of the first things that um, I had to look at. And the first thing I'm going to say about being self-sufficient is to learn basic survival skills. I'm currently trying to learn them. And it is sad that I'm just now <laughs> learning basic survival skills. Because I was like, oh my God, if you put me out in the wilderness, I don't think I would make it very long. <laughs> you know, because I don't know the difference between poisonous stuff and, and not. Um, you know, building fires when everything is wet and all of that kind of stuff. But that is a given. That's a given. But these were the things that I learned with regards to logistics of moving people through a rough terrain, like military strategy and stuff. It was amazing. And there are two things I'm going to talk about because we don't have that much time. And that was from Sun Tzu all the way down. If you knew that you were going to be encamped for a while, plant the trees first. And if I mean, like in a barren land or a flat land, plant the trees first. If you know you're going to be there, you stay on me. You're going to be there for a few years. <laughs> plant the trees first. And if you can, plant fruit ones. And Sun Tzu even went so far as to say, we ain't plant no trees. We're just going to take the land that has the most trees and we're going to live off of that. And if they try us, once we can get the saplings or enough enough of the uh, mature tree to build our own. We'll burn down the ones that they were thinking they were going to depend on. That son Zoo, he's so smooth, but he was ruthless. And so, when you quote unquote plant the trees first, that is also the first thing that goes 
that will cause you a lot of problems. I was looking at um, some tree literature for something else. Y'all know my mind be all over the place having to research stuff for writing and classes and all this kind of stuff we do. And Arbor Day. When I was a kid, we would practice Arbor Day. We would go out and plant a tree, and it was so nice. And I would love the little sapling tree. And I'm like, oh. And um, it was usually in the spring. And I and I did look it up. Yes, let me go look and make sure I'm telling you no lies. So for 2020, and as of this recording, it has not happened yet. But Arbor Day to this year is April 24th. But if you go and you look at uh, people in the know about trees, what they will tell you is the best time to tr- uh, plant a new tree, like a sapling or something, is going to be in early fall. Because what they say is, is it gives it an, an extra season to be able to be strong enough to withstand the harsh conditions of summer. So if you're planting a tree for Arbor Day, a brand new one, it is is not going to have had as much time to acclimate as one that was planted back in September. And so I was like, wow, so why do we talk about Arbor Day? I guess it's because, you know, people are in that mood and it's springtime and they're all excited about the bunnies and stuff. But understanding just even how important it is to have sufficiency and the things and the order that you need to do them is important. And little stuff like that. Um, I, <laughs> when I was a kid, my grandmother, she cooked everything from scratch because she was from that generation. And she taught us the basics. She was like, if you're ever hungry and you don't have a lot of food, uh, don't, these are the things that you buy. And if you have these items, you won't starve. And so she taught us about the things that you buy and the things that you grow because my grandparents had a um, garden. And so she talked about growing your beans, your peas and, and all those things and then canning stuff for the winter. And then she talked about how you can get your grains and uh, other little things that will tied you over. She says, even without, and this was before everybody was, you know, really touting um, plant-based and vegan, but she was like, you can live. Basically, she was saying you can live vegan through um, through the winter and you will be fine. And I remember many a meals where it was just a cornucopia of all of these vegetables that she had grown uh, through the summer. And she might throw a few macaroni in there to, you know, make it filling and the fresh tomatoes. And she sometimes called it goulash or succotash because of the peas and the corn and the different things that were in there. And she'd make some cornbread and we would eat so well and it was so good. But that was part of of sufficiency and understanding how to not only survive, but how to know enough. She would look and say, okay, we've got, you know, this much and and whatever. And they would plant according because my grandparents always told us, we don't want to waste. We, We don't want to overcrowd the plants when they're growing. We don't want to ruin the soil before it's naturally time to turn the crops. And she would tell us all this stuff. And little did I know that just by my mother, my grandparents, uh, and others that I grew up around having this mother wit that they were imparting in me and hopefully in you that there is a understanding that we need to become proficient in. And now because of our technological advances, we have been able to be removed from understanding these basics. Like 
even with how to make a recipe, you know, when you're baking something, you know, the difference between a pancake, a biscuit, a cake, a cookie. My grandmother taught me all of that. And I thought everybody knew it until I got out there and realized, nope, everybody didn't know that. (laughs) And so I wanted to thank her. And this is another thing I want to say about when we talk about plant the trees first, it's not even just a physical tree. If you're thinking about sufficiency, you want to make sure that your foundations have something that is going to have an exchange from you. So I always keep a live plant in my home. Those plants love my, you know, my carbon dioxide and I love their oxygen that they put, that they put out. And um, they also teach me something, especially a tree. They teach you patience. And that's one of the biggest things that the Insider's Guide to Sufficiency requires, that you have patience. And the reason why you have to have patience is because there is a process and there is a path um, that needs to be taken and, and to go through for you to be able to be sufficient. So the next thing, and this is another one that came from my strategy stuff and even with the Dictator's Handbook, and that was to seek the high ground and secure it. And so when we talk about the high ground, I'm not talking about when they go low, we go high. No, mm -mm. I'm talking about the high ground of the best position to be before you need to be on the offense or the defense. See, the high ground in the old way, that was the ground that the that when you were settling land or trying to get to some place, that's where you built, because that was your natural protection against the floods and the rain. And if you built the high ground. I mean, if you secured the high ground, made sure you had some trees on it. It the trees would protect you from soil erosion. The high ground would protect you from uh, the floods and um, the monsoons and the the wadis and all of those types of things that would naturally occur. And so, understanding that when you are establishing something or when you need to be sufficient. You can't just be willy-nilly about where you stake your claim, where you plant yourself, or where you say you're going to be established. Because if you build right in the middle of a ravine or a canyon or something, not if, when the 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 uh, winter thaw of uh, snow thaws and that water comes rushing down, you will get taken out. And that was very important back in the day because people knew that the average person would know we don't want to build too close to that, you know, because that's that's uh, waste away, uh, you know, sand and all this kind of stuff. And it was just amazing to me when I was realizing how far away from sufficiency I really am in understanding just how to uh, make sure that I'm going to be able to have enough. And when I say have enough, I'm talking about be able to continue to do it. There were many areas that I found vulnerabilities. And so because of that, I'm sharing it with you. Okay. And so the next thing is to protect your ground. I remember watching a survival series many years ago and they had a quick little quiz. You know how they'll have these little breaks to keep you engaged in whatever you're consuming, uh, visually consuming. And they were like, which one is correct? Uh, When you are in the wilderness, what is the first thing that you need to do? And I think they had things like build a fire, pitch a tent, or, um, 
do something to the ground, you know, uh, clear the ground. And I said, uh, build fire. And they were like, wrong uh, when they came back. And they said, the first thing that you should do uh, when you're going to be out in the elements is you should prepare the ground because if you have something protecting you from just the ground, it will help you way more than even if you had a tent. And I was like, wow. And I always remembered that. And it was like, you have to know what is going to do you in the most. And so when we talk about protect the ground, make sure you realize the stuff that looks innocent that can either kill you or support you. Just like water, water can kill you or support you. All of the elements, and that brings me to that point of working with the all. One thing that I remember about, especially about my grandfather, he was always trying to teach us that we were not a vacuum and that we didn't just have relationships with each other. He was like, you have relationships with the, well, they had animals and they had grown up on farms, so they had that element. But he talked about, you have relationships with the land, the people, the animals, and, you know, relationships with, you know, if you, if you worship a God or whatever. And he was like, you need to make sure that you work well with all because you can't do it on your own. And we have gotten to the point where the cocooning of America and the world has happened. We are now so far removed from each other that we can be in the same room texting each other instead of talking with each other. And I know for me, I am able to sequester myself and get engrossed in my own little world and only come up for air uh, when it's been abnormally too long. And that's not good for me or you or anyone else. It's not good for our mental health. I looked at a picture the other day of a woman, and this was taken um, at the turn of the century. And so um, it was a, a, a grainy photograph of her when she was a young girl, like in her 16 to 18. And then they had a picture of her uh, in her 40s um, and she had gone insane and uh, she she didn't look anything like herself. And they said that this was what happens when you do not have any physical contact for many years. And I was like, oh, my gosh. Now, they made it as a blanket statement, an alarmist statement, I think. But still, there is some validity to that. And so we have to learn to work with all. And the sad thing is, is the more we sequester and believe that if I just keep to myself and I work on me and mine, I'm going to be fine when that's not the case. Sufficiency means that you need to know enough. You need to know how much human interaction you need to have and how much personal interaction you need to have. And this is another thing about working with the all that I want to say. And that is the elements. We have to respect the elements. They have the power that you'll never possess. And I'm not just talking about the elements, you know, that we're used to earth, wind, fire and water, you know, and ether. I am talking about the elements of us, of what makes us us. We need to remember that you have to breathe. To me, that's elemental. To uh, you have to be able to consume. Uh, one of the things that shocked me when I was younger, I I don't know how I got to this point, but I was very I had become very iron deficient, and my body wasn't able to process the vitamins that I took every day. And I happened to notice it one day when I saw the vitamin in the toilet. I was like, well, wait a minute. <laughs> and so when I went to the doctor, they were like, yeah, you need some help, and. 
I was like, how could I have gotten to that point? And only to come out, uh, uh, to think of it, I was, I was drinking too much water. I was um, over-exercising and, and a whole bunch of things that I had thrown my electrolytes off. And it was just a mess. And it, it, my bounce back was not that fast. And even though I was very young. And so learning to embrace the elemental parts of us that we need to have is great. And I'm, I'm not going to pretend that I'm an expert on any of this stuff that I'm talking about. That's another reason why I'm sharing it. Because I'm like, if I know I am sitting up here looking at myself like you got to do better, then maybe this is something that you can look at. All right. So let's, let's get, you know, continue on. And so the next thing is, is to understand that the root of all is the simple. Yep. Learn to identify the least common denominator and stop making things so complicated on ourselves. I am so guilty of that. I'm working on a project right now and it has been giving me the blues. And every time I get into a snag and I reach out, because remember, we don't do this alone. I reach out to my support peoples. Thank y'all. Y'all know who you are. Inevitably, it comes down to you're making this too hard. You're making it more complicated than it needs to be. There is a better way, a, a easier way, and you already know it. Go back and just do that, you know, and stop adding on and all of that. And it's so good because I have learned this, that in life, you'll have kind of like two sides of yourself or you might be firmly on one side or the other. And that is we fight this battle between our creative side and our logical side. And when my creative side gets out out of whack, this is what happens. I make things too grandiose, too complicated. They never get done. But when I get too into the logical side, I get too granular, too down in the weeds, too much into the details till I am not getting anything done. And so Understanding what, how much is enough, that sufficiency is one of the things that I live a constant life of trying to figure out. When's the last time you checked to see what your harmonious equilibrium is between your creative and your logical side? That would probably be a good area for you to do a diagnostic or just even take a, a look, see, are you being tripped up by all the creative ambitions that you have? Or are you in a rut of doing the logical and, and not coming up for air to consider the big and the awesome? Okay. And I already talked about learning um, basic survival skills. And these survival skills are not just in the wild. Our survival skills of what it means to keep us healthy, uh, wealthy, sane, prosperous, and joyful. What does it take for us to have a life that continues to sustain us with goodness and not uh, turn us into um, lesser ghosts of ourselves over time? And so to do that, with the insider's guide to sufficiency, the wisdom smack for me, it seems so simple because that's the way it's supposed to be, is that I've had to look at the process that I have fallen into. And so I've, I've, I've started working on making notes because I'm not there yet. Like I said, being, being vulnerably honest here, I'm looking at the process and the procedure to follow uh, for my daily life. But I will tell you at the top of that, how am I looking at plant the trees first, seek the higher ground and protect my ground? I am. I told you guys the other day I was reworking my manifesto, but I'm also working on my plan 
And it's my plan, my procedure, my process to follow when bad times come because they always come. And um, I'll tell you, getting knocked off your perch is not good when you quote unquote think you know better. And I, <laughs> yeah, so I'm having to eat a, a lot of humble pie and I find that I'm, I'm in that place I don't like to be, that reactive place instead of the um, proactive place. But, but for wisdom. Wisdom is so good to help me to remember this and to uh, share it with you to to help you uh, do it when you don't need it. And so this come and this helps us to know when we have enough, because I'll tell you, in hindsight, most of the times that I missed the mark, I messed up or whatever is when I overextended and got a little too greedy and did stuff that I didn't need to do. And I didn't need to do it. It was just my stupid. I'm not going to call myself stupid. It, it was just the ego side, unattended to running amok when I had enough to sustain and to be totally fine with it. And so I don't want you to leave this um, wisdom smack thinking that I'm talking about sacrificing and not being able to enjoy life. No, sufficiency is adequacy. It is enough. It is abundance. It is joy, but it is also in moderation and it has wisdom attached to it. And that is why wisdom uh, calls out to us. It's like, come, you need to sit at my feet and learn how to figure this out because if you don't, it will destroy you. Wisdom is always trying to keep us from destroying ourselves. And that's what I love about this journey and this opportunity to daily daily have to have wisdom deal with me because it's not fun. I wish I could say, oh yeah, it's fun. But no, wisdom will have you rethinking some things about your life, like realizing that, oh my gosh, the thing that my mother wanted for me the most, I've I've been found lacking and I haven't attended to it in a while. So I'm going to redo that. So in the last few minutes that we have together, I want to do a quick little recap on the Insider's Guide to Sufficiency. Now, I talked to you about the dictator's handbook and how dictators run their their world and and all of that. And the reason why I brought that book up is because I wanted you to start having a understanding and an overstanding of your environment and your surroundings. Too many times people have not realized that they were in a perilous place and it wasn't until it was too late. When is the last time you looked around your physical environment to see the changes? Are there bulldozers everywhere taking away um, uh, the trees. You know, think about that. If you don't have flood insurance on your home because when you bought it 20 years ago, it wasn't in a floodplain. Things may have changed. You need to be uh, aware of doing your evaluations to see if you have enough. Look at your insurance policies. Look at the things you have in your life. And if you are at all able and possible, update. Make sure if you've got children, do your wills, do whatever it you can to make sure that you plant the trees first, fruit ones if you can. Seek the higher ground and secure it to keep the flooding away. Protect your ground because it'll either kill you or support you and work with the all 
Embrace the simplest things and do them. Learn your basic skills of survival and develop a process and a procedure to follow when bad times come. And know when enough is enough. And so guess what? Yes, my time is up. I thank you for yours. This has been Michelle Spivey, your Practical Priestess of Wisdom with another podcast of Wisdom Smack. Please don't forget to use our Amazon link when you do any of your Amazon shopping at michellespivey.com forward slash AMZ. I'll see you tomorrow. And that's going to do it for today's podcast of Wisdom Smack with Michelle Spiva. If you like this podcast, please help us get the word out. Like, comment, subscribe, and even share. And if you really like it, please help us continue to get the word out by considering using this show's link for Amazon. So when you want to go to Amazon and you do all of your general shopping, Uh, please use michellespiva.com forward slash AMZ. It's simple as that. It doesn't cost you anything extra. And this show might receive a little bit of commission that will go towards helping to further get these episodes out to you and to others. So thank you so much for listening. This has been Michelle Spiva with Wisdom Smack. Bye.